Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Drea Letamendi, and you're listening to the Optimist in Progress podcast, a show that invites change leaders, innovators, and self-starters who inspire and fuel the practice of being optimistic. In this episode, Tom Johnstone and I speak to guest Tony Kim. Tony is the founder of Hero Within, a lifestyle fashion brand he built in 2016. As a child of Korean immigrants, Tony learned to adjust to his early life in Texas. And as an adult, Tony created a non-traditional family of his own, fostering and adopting youth. Tony was a part of a community of people who had a passion for pop culture, science fiction, and comics, and he began to notice that members of this community needed help demonstrating that their passion isn't just a fad, but it is a part of who they are. He created sophisticated outerwear that would both reflect our love for pop culture and also represent that within the community, there are serious influencers in business, culture, and leadership. Early on, Tony named empowerment as one of the core values for Hero Within, stating that apparel should be a reminder that fandom should give you strength and identity. Most importantly, he asserts, fandom gives us the ability to help others connect and to create a safe place for fans to grow in their passion. He eventually acquired licenses from Marvel, DC Comics, and Star Trek, and the business began booming until the fateful pandemic hit and things began to shift. One thing that I noticed about the brand is its celebration of inclusivity and belongingness. And when I would meet Tony year after year at Comic-Con and pop culture conventions, the spirit of this is seen in the employees and fans and within Tony at his booth, essentially bringing people into their store and welcoming all with enthusiasm. In this conversation, we realize how much of ourselves we bring into our work. And this can be invigorating, but also lend itself to exhaustion especially when we begin to lose ourselves along the way. We talk about a lot of things, the loneliness, the difficulties and struggles of early life as an in-betweener, someone from a third culture or an immigrant family, someone who just doesn't fit into one category. It reminded me of the Spanish phrase for Latinx immigrants, ni de aquí ni de allá, which means neither from here nor there, being able to transcend spaces and cultures with ease. Tony uplifts the experience of people in between categories. And in this conversation, I was reminded that being in between, uh, in, the, in the mixedness and the blendedness, is a strength, an ability, a superpower. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Tony Kim. Thank you so much for joining us, Tony. I'm really excited about the conversation and I'm also fascinated by the artwork behind you. <laughs> I can see some Doctor Who, I can yeah, see Wonder Woman, yeah, Batman. Yeah, there we go. There's some good good inspiration back there. Well, Tony, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Obviously, you already know Drea. We always start the conversation with the same question, which is about optimism. What does the word mean to you? What do you consider yourself an optimist? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think uh, optimism comes down to just hope. Um, and, um, you know, I think some people get the idea of optimism confused with um, always being like cheerful and smiling. I think that's a, that's a big confusion around that um, because I, I think you can, maybe your disposition is kind of more, calm or more um, neutral uh, um, but your outlook and your vision of life has really focused on hope you know and um, and I always felt like that um, I'm, I feel like I'm a glass half full kind of person and despite the you know the various challenges that that 
um, arrive. Um, I feel like that I can, one of my strengths is I feel like I can push towards the, the hope side of things. Um, I, I have to admit that the past few years have definitely challenged that. And I'm sure we'll get into that later, but you know, I, as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a big comic book nerd and um, which, that's part of the reason why that like the character Superman has always been my, my favorite out of all the DC characters, just because I feel like he's one that embodies that sort of optimism and hope. That's great. It's so interesting to hear people's different interpretation of the word. And I think you kind of in, interchanging it with hope there is a really interesting combination. Yeah. I always, you know, I feel like that, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you have to have the mindset that everything can be better and everything should be better, you know, and, and that whatever we have, you know, we have a very unique privilege that whatever we have a chance to touch and manipulate and influence, we should be able to make that better. You know, we should be able, and it should be better. And um, so I think that that's part of the optimistic mindset. Tell us about a young Tony. What was it like? What was he like growing up? Oh, man. My parents immigrated here from Korea about a year before I was born. You know, here I mean, I meant um, Texas, Dallas, Texas, in a suburb there. And growing up in, in Texas, you know, it was really challenging because I grew up in a community that there wasn't any, any I mean, there wasn't Asians, there wasn't any Blacks, Hispanics. It was just like literally in school, it was like me and maybe like one or two other kids that were considered others, you know. Hmm. So, um, so I feel like that all through elementary school. And then once I got into middle school, there was a few more. And then even in high school, I graduated in the, with the largest graduating class in Texas. And with the, I think the graduating class of seniors was maybe like 1300 seniors. So gigantic. Wow. wow. But there was still only just a couple of handfuls of other kids. So it was, you know, very monoethnic. And so that had a profound impact on on me kind of growing up, you know, growing up always experiencing things like racism or being marginalized or misunderstood or stereotyped quite a bit. So growing up, you know, it was always a struggle, you know, because I was always having to prove myself or always having to change or sort of adapt or flex or or sometimes be someone I wasn't or wish I was someone else. And, you know, um, it, it was very complicated with um my own identity and my understanding, then rejecting and then re-embracing my own culture. So, you know, a lot of that sort of kind of went on um, kind of throughout my teen years and whatnot, because as we all know, uh, being a teen is, is hard enough, let alone throwing in all those layers of um, cultural complexity to it. So, um, but that's part of the reason why I, I, I gravitate towards pop culture. You know, I, I, found myself, um, my parents were kind of the typical Asian American parents are working all the time, graveyard shifts, all that sort of stuff. And I had a lot of time to myself. So I found myself reading comic books and uh, playing role playing games and, um, you know, TV, sci fi movies, all that sort of stuff, because I really identify with the fact that much of the characters we see in pop culture, their stories are kind of like us immigrants, you know, where it's, you know, they are from a faraway land and they feel like that they don't quite belong and they're struggling to find their voice and their sort of purpose in life. And which is why, again, Superman kind of was my guy because I felt like, you know, um, I really resonated with his sort of journey, not the super heroic part, but the idea that 
he believed that he's here for a purpose. He sort of fits in, but doesn't quite fit in at Smallville, doesn't quite fit in in Metropolis. And he's, it's his sort of embracing the fact that he lives in both worlds, that he is kind of finds who he is. And so that had a very, um, really informed much of my um, childhood and as I kind of grew into an adult. So I, I was very fortunate on the other hand because, um, you know, I had, my parents were, were uh, while they were stern and while they worked a lot, they were great. And, you know, we had a, uh, a relatively stable household and I had, a, I had a great brother, older brother who looked after me. And, um, and you know, I'd, like, like many others, um, I found myself a little nerdy group of friends and we would, you know, uh, when I watched things like Stranger Things, you know, just like that, you know, in the basement playing Dungeons and Dragons on a Friday That was night, you. Play all night long. Oh, yeah. That was totally you. Was to- that was totally me. So, so we, you know, those, those Stranger Things nights were, I mean, that was for many years, just every weekend that was us getting on our bikes and getting into trouble and all that sort of stuff. So, so, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of in a nutshell, um, life for me growing up. When we're in our, I'd say like middle adulthood, we come to recognize how much of our heritage, our ancestors, the the people who raised the people who raised us, like how those virtues and values are actualized in our experience. I I wonder what that was like for you, um, you know, a first gen uh, Asian American, uh, definitely experiencing this fish out of water um, life as a child and then coming to your own. Did you start to recognize some of those signs that uh, there were maybe beliefs you had, values, things that were instilled in you that you recognize from your your sort of generational uh, lessons? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I really embraced my Asian American heritage probably later than a lot of my peers did. It probably wasn't until I was, um, I I felt like I ran from it for so long. Like I really, even when I got into college, I really only hung out with like white friends and I didn't really want to mix with Asian Americans. And part of it was because like, you know, many of them who were recent immigrants, um, you know, I didn't want to be associated with, with people who were, um, you know, new to this country. I wanted, you know, kind of blending in. Right. So yeah, you know, my, my wife who, um, really when we got married, then, um, you know, she started to really take an interest in, you know, our she wanted to learn everything. She really wanted to, you know, just dive into, um, uh, our, you know, my culture and that's sort of ignited something new in me. And, um, you know, I kind of joke about, about how like she's more Korean than I am. I think, <laughs> and, and uh, it's interesting because you know there's a uh, sociological term called third culture. You probably have heard of it. The idea that like you kind of have your own central culture, and then you have a you have a secondary um, larger culture around you, and then third culture is the idea of like you can kind of weave in and out of both cultures. You know, and um, they use that term for, you know, missionary kids and army brats who kind of have their own home culture and then whatever cultures around them, you know, hmm. and the whole idea of like being a third culture kid, when I first heard that term, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's what I am. I don't, if I'm like completely surrounded 
within my own culture, I feel suffocated. But if I'm part of a second culture, kind of the surrounding culture, I feel like I'm isolated. I don't belong. But when I weave in and out of both cultures, like when I'm in when I'm in a third culture environment where I can kind of go back and forth, I feel at home. Like I feel like, oh, this is like where I belong. I feel like I really feel like I belong in the in-between space of two cultures. And to kind of put that language to it really helped me find my sense of purpose because when you really look out now and to the, like now, you know, fast forward to 2022, it's um our sort of third culture citizens of the world, artists, businessmen, community developers that really do make a change. You know, the, the people who, who can navigate between multiple cultures, um, those are the ones that can connect people, that can connect the dots, that can create um, a vision, merchandise product, whatever that speaks to multiple, you know, uh, to, to a, a third culture community. And, and so, so before, as I was growing up, um, I always felt like that uh, being from Korea or whatever, like that was like a, um, it was a hindrance to me or an obstacle. But then um, as I sort of grew and um, sort of kind of understood my place that, oh, you know, being a third culture person is actually an asset, you know, it's a strength. So, um, so I've been very grateful for it. You know, it's taken me, <laughs> it's taken me some decades to, to get to get there. I think I can see some of where the inspiration came from, but can you tell us the journey from your childhood to eventually deciding to create your own business and your own brand? Uh, yeah. I think I've, I've read that you described it as a cosmic nudge um, <laughs> in, in previous conversations. Uh, much like yourself, my background is in design and um, marketing. So I spent I spent many years in in that world and really loved and enjoyed it. But as my as my passion for pop culture continued to grow, I really felt um, sort of a um, I don't know uh, if you can call it a calling or a nut nudging or whatever it is to play more of, of a part or influence in this in this pop culture community and things like comic-con was a big part of it you know andre you know that's how you and i first met and tom i don't know if you've ever been to a comic-con before but you know it's it's the world you know nerdiest gathering um and um when i first started going to different comic cons i really realized oh this is like my people this is like this is where i belong and again very third culture people because they are you know passionate fans but then most of them are also like, you know, have a day job and they kind of go in between both worlds, right? That's their, that's the thing. So um, I felt like, oh, you know, I really do want to make, make, create or design or be a part of, you know, adding to the pop culture community that has given to me so much. So um, 2000, maybe 13, 14 or so, I was, I was uh, cosplaying, going to comic cons and cosplaying, and I was I was basically making uh, blazers and jackets um, out of uh, un unconventional materials, and um, still kind of fashion focused, but then just bringing in like unusual materials to do that with. And they always had a theme to it and whatever. And Tony, so, can you after, describe can you describe uh, cosplay a little bit further for folks who've either maybe heard the term and didn't quite know what it is, or maybe are hearing the term for the first time? Uh, cosplay is a, a, a Japanese term 
that sort of uh, captured the idea of like um, extreme costume and play put together called cosplay. Um, but the idea of sort of uh, bringing a character to life through through costuming, you know, through um, whether you're everything from a very direct representation of a character or your own sort of reimagination of or mashup or whatever. So it's everything in between. Um, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, you know, I, I was doing some cosplay for uh, a couple of years and as I was planning a, another year of it, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe instead of just making a, a random costume, maybe I can take some of these ideas and cause I was making blazers and jackets out of unconventional materials. I thought, well, maybe I could actually make something that's a actual physical product that people would like to see and wear and, you know, something like that. So, so it's that third year I designed a blazer, a Superman blazer at the time, a very crude prototype of a Superman blazer, very, you know, kind of subtle and all that sort of stuff. And, um, I just started, you know, I, I the, the name here within sort of, uh, uh, it came to be very early on because that idea of, of we all have a hero inside of us that should come out and there are outward sort of um, um, sort of uh, passion should be reflected from what's happening from the inside. So, um, so, so I called the hero within and all I had was a brand and a prototype. And I went to Comic-Con that year with hopes I blogged about it and just said, Hey, if anyone wants to see this, I'm just kind of showing it off and we'll, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes. And I just spent the the uh, first week or the, the week of Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, July of 2015 and walking around, showing creators and other companies and basically saying, hey, I have this idea of a, you know, a subtly inspired fashion blazer that, um, you know, if you saw this on the shelf, would you buy it? And I literally was just using Comic-Con that year as a big, giant, 100,000 person focus group. <laughs> and I just, you know, walking around. So um, then from there, or about six months later, I was talking to a design friend of mine and I was like, well, Comic-Con's coming up. And, and you know, like this whole idea of here within, I, I really do feel like that there's, there's, something here like there's something that this could actually be a company i think when i look out into the world and it, when it comes to um fan apparel there just really wasn't that much at that time i mean just i mean 2016 doesn't sound like a long time ago but it was just t-shirts and hoodies the ladies started getting more options with companies like her universe and um uh, black milk and some others but there really was not that much when it came to representing your fandom beyond just the t-shirt hoodie sort of thing but it would take like my full-time attention and i have a you know i got the job and i've got the family and I got the mortgage and it just i, I just don't know how it's going to happen so you have to be careful when you throw things like that out in the universe because sometimes <laughs> the universe is listening because about two months later, I found myself laid off. And it was just like, whoa, okay, like curse you universe. <laughs> so, you know, I, I spent um, a few weeks just really pondering my options. And I just thought, you know what, I, I think this is a sign. This is a sign that I need to try this. So my, my wife is very um, 
was very supportive and we just kind of, you know, jumped in with uh, both feet. And um, in 2016, we, we launched it um, in conjunction with us. San Diego Comic-Con that year. So we, we kind of launched the company at that event and um, we've kind of been going ever since. So that's, you know, the very unorthodox approach to how Here Within came along. And certainly from, what, 2016 to 2019, the comic convention circuit was booming. Uh, yeah. um, uh, comic book movies were on the rise. Uh, you know, Tony and I met in the community of Comic-Con, right? So people who come together with these passions and interest around comic books, comic book movies, gaming, um, you know, all, all uh, tabletop games, all sorts of, of ways in which we can kind of be visible, see each other. And, and it, you know, let me also say personally, I was drawn to Tony's entrepreneurship and his uh, his business because it spoke to me. I am an adult person who wants more than the t-shirt. I want to wear a blazer to work. I want to represent my yeah. full self, come to work my full self. And so it spoke to so many of us who are trying to find belongingness and, and wholeness in their world. And it, the timing of it, I think, was amazing. And then the pandemic hit. And so I'd, I'd love to ask you, you know, how did you even though we're seeing a resurgence of conventions and I know you've been able to bring your company back to, uh, back to the circuit as we're so slowly opening up again, what has kept you in the game? Uh, what was it like for you emotionally to, to survive, uh, the pandemic? Yeah, it was really hard. Uh, you know, um, when it first started, when everything first started going down, uh, we had a little bit of a heads up because we had some of our factories in, China. So right at December 2019, they were already talking about there's something happening here. So we were already having those conversations. And then January, when January came around, there was Chinese New Year. So the, the factors were already taking off at, uh, for a few weeks. And then they contacted us at the beginning of February and said, well, because of this virus thing, we can't come back to work. And so that's when I was like, oh, this is, this is big, you know, because it's Regardless if the virus makes it to the U.S., the fact that if China manufactures a majority of product around the world and if China closes up, it's going to obviously have ripple effects throughout everything. So certainly then in March, like everybody else, like all the shows started closing up and um, a lot of the um, online businesses as far as like the, so, you know, we had a number of wholesale deals going into different brick and mortar stores and uh, other places as well. And, and so, you know, obviously when um, brick and mortars shut down, that closed up all those wholesale deals, right? So, um, so yeah, it was a very traumatic experience, um, like for many, many business, small business owners. Um, you know, we had probably 50% of our revenue had just stopped overnight. Just like, it was like a faucet being turned off. And so, um, so yeah, uh, you know, for the first few months, uh, we really focused on providing relief. So we were all factories had shifted over to creating things like face masks. And you know, you know, remember back then there was like such little PPE out there that um, so we were doing everything from um, gloves and bodysuits and, and masks. And then we were 
taking donations to be able to take those merchandise and direct them to um, hospitals and nursing homes and all that stuff. So we spent a, a couple months there just sort of focused on that, which was great because there was a real sense of global camaraderie and, you know, we're all going to kind of help, help um, get through this together. And, and, and so that was, um, so our focus kind of was on that for a little while, but then as we moved into more of the reality of how is this going to affect, you know, the market, um, it really started you know, having a negative impact on our company and um, not b- beyond just the fact that, we couldn't travel to shows, but then there was like no movies, you know, movies mm-hmm. was such a big part of our industry was people buy merchandise after they go to a movie and there was no movies happening and um, no stores opened and no conventions and nothing, anything like that. So as much as uh, people shopped online, they weren't shopping for our kind of clothes, the blazers, pea coats, um, slacks, dresses i mean you know everyone was wearing <laughs> yeah they were, everyone was buying sweatpants yeah. Everyone. Yeah. yeah so there just was no need for our business anymore so so that was really tough so then we shifted mm. to well we will get into we got into joggers and we got into more hoodies and 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 uh, another thing we got into was enamel pins um because we realized that while people didn't have a lot of discretionary income they still wanted to support and they still want, you know, they can afford a $99 jacket, but they can buy like an $8 pin, you know? So, so our enamel pin business really blew up during that, that time. We sold a lot of pins, um, but it all really did have a psychological effect on me because six or nine months into it, we're, we're, um, we're two things worth happening. We're all working behind our laptops, primarily, you know, I'm driving this and, you know, you kind of feel like, remember um, Lucy, the, that infamous clip of her in the chocolate factory and she's like eating, right? And she's just cranking it out. And that's what it was feeling like. You're just sort of cranking out these widgets um, and it's just sort of going in, into outer space. There's no customer interaction. There's no part of the sort of the, the swells of pop culture. And the, there's no event experience. It's just literally, you're just, I just felt like I'm behind a laptop and I'm just cranking out widgets, right? And then the second part of it, I'm cranking. What am I creating? I'm creating pins and sweats. That's not even why I've gotten got into this business for, you know. And and now I'm I'm putting out an enormous amount of energy making stuff that I don't even want to make, um, and just sort of cranking it out. And it really led to a, a very like um, existential sort of you know experience because I'm like, wh- yeah, like what am I doing? Like I literally am just um, I'm making stuff I don't even want to make, and I I know that's important important to people on the other end of it but when you don't see touch talk you know interact with them yeah there was some social media interaction but you know it's not not quite the same mm. so um so yeah so that's very difficult you know and like many of my peers uh, led to a lot of like i'm like i mentioned earlier i feel like i'm a pretty optimistic guy but i was definitely like on the you know, lowest part of my you know uh, certainly lowest part of my business journey but then just just life in general, I felt like it was pretty low. Like I felt very unmotivated, very sort of down, slowed down quite a bit, um, spent a lot of days and felt like weeks and months sort of spinning a little bit. And so we were keep pushing, we were keep doing more stuff. And the uh, licenses that we work with uh, went from a very understanding and very gracious to 
they were all feeling the squeeze. And so it, things became very like difficult business-wise with some of the licenses. And we all thought that 2021 would be much better. And then for the first half of 2021, it was pretty tough. Like I was, hmm. you know, I was definitely uh, wondering, will, will, will we survive? And secondly, do we really want to survive? Like, what do we, you know, what do we, what kind of company are we going to be when we come out of this? Yeah. So um, I, I'm fortunate that, you know, some of my, peers didn't make it they they tapped out and um which is you know totally fine um and, but we're we're thankful that we're still operating and still moving forward and, and kind of starting to you know to regain some ground but um but you know to give you an idea 20 in 2020 we we, we had lost probably 50 percent of our revenue that that year and in 2021 we thought it would be the up year, but we, we lost 50% of that from the previous year. So we were like tremendously down just because people were tired. They bought everything they want to buy. They supported everything they want to support. We're still not going out and doing any conventions or whatever. And there was a real sort of lull in the market for um, um, apparel and especially in fashion in general was just took a, you know, took a big hit. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was super tough. And um uh, I wish that, you know, I'm sure there'll be many, you know, Andre, I'm sure there's going to be uh, much uh, research and literature that's going to be done on, on this particular uh, time and period. And I don't know what the solution was and what, how I do differently, but, um, you know. I, I can, I can see that, that, you know, if you're misaligned with what you're doing and you're working for someone else it's one thing and I think a lot of people have see, seen that in jobs and I think that's a lot uh, that's led to people talking about the great resignation yeah, now yeah. but if you're misaligned and you're working for yourself that's a, an acutely difficult position to be in because you're having to move for for market forces to keep the lights on but actually you know a big part of starting your own thing is so that you are quite aligned with what you're doing and that, and that yeah. you're excited by it and i think that that must be a really unique um challenge to to face and it's it's amazing that you're able to to kind of push through that like a lot of people doing small businesses for the first three years we were growing um doubling our revenue every year going into the pandemic and so by 20 it was one of those like at the beginning of 2020 it was like the perfect storm for us because we finally got to a place to where all of the ducks in a row were in a row. Production was all locked in. We had merchandise. We had money to bank. Like everything was all lined up. The, the year was going to be our tipping point year where everything really just, you know, blew up and went to the next level. And so the, the, um, it's a, it was just profoundly disappointing to be at the end of that year and realize that, it's not even that it's like we are half of what we were before and we're we went we reduced it by another half this following year and so um so the the psychological toll of that has been has been uh, pretty extreme um and I, I i wish i could say that i'm you know better but it's still hard I, I still feel like i've got a lot of ptsd from that whole you know from that whole experience well i think it's important to acknowledge that because i think that there are scars that are gonna you're gonna yeah. be taking through too and it's really important to to have them in mind and the and and this isn't totally clear yet but the market has changed people are have hmm. different buying habits now they have different desires different priorities the, the full workforce isn't back yet and so just from a 
you know, from an, an apparel business side of things, you can just tell that consumers are just different. I'm different. You know, I don't, I buy the things differently now. And you realize, oh, I really didn't, I don't really need, you know, 10 of these things in my whatever. I, you know, and, and so I think just that's going to continue to evolve. And there's a new normal that we're having to embrace and not, it'll never go back to exactly the way it was. So, so it's making us all like having to be like back to square one and do a bunch of product research and focus groups and, you know, all that. So, yeah. I, I feel a lot more energized by thinking about a new way of being than I think about going back to anything. And uh, and I, I think it's it's important not to just pretend it didn't happen. It's important to acknowledge that everyone's changed yeah. through going through this. I was really interested to read you talking about um, Seth Godin and uh, his phrase, just ship it, when you related to setting up your business. Could you let me know a bit about what that phrase just ship it means to you how it yeah. helped kind of form or inform some of the thinking around your own business um yeah so you know when he when seth godin talks about you know he's a marketer and an author and a speaker and um you know he, he talks a lot about um the most important part of the creative process is shipping your product and there's so much emphasis on um the idea or the, you know, the product itself, you know, it could be product or service, whatever it is. And uh, most people spend too much time focusing on, you know, the end product. And to the point to where they don't ever get to the place to where they can ship it, right? And um, the, I realized that a product will never be perfect. The idea will never be perfect. The service, whatever, it won't, it won't ever be perfect. And uh, so if you, if you really take too much time to focus on that, you'll pass your opportunity to ship it and it'll be too late. So, so, you know, we've always, at least at here within have had a, um, a goal to, we want to make, of course, everything we make wants to be quality and we want it to be designed correctly and all that for sure. Um, but it's more important to ship something, even if it's not perfect, um, to be able to get it out because um, there's certain things that you just don't know until it's in the hands of the consumer, right? Mm. So it's better to get it to a certain point, you know, and you have to decide internally what that is for yourself and then, um, you know, see what happens and then iterate, 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 and then, you know, keep doing it over and over again. And, um, you know, when, uh, what I really love and appreciate about the event of San Diego Comic-Con is that because it's, it's, every year at the same time in July, back in 20, early 2016, when we launched the company, I just knew to myself, I had to ship it by July, 2016, no matter what happens, it is going out the door, right? There's just no choice about that. So we just had a few months to iterate and get samples back and forth from our factory, but there was no, like, it's not just right. Let's wait another six months. You know, there was none of that going to happen. It's going to ship. And I'm glad it did because when it did ship, it was, you know, things were not, perfect and there was all kinds of problems and we learned so much from that hmm. that's pushed us propelled us forward to do it again and so now and so it's very as anyone who creates anything about you knows it's terrifying to um to ship something whether you press send yeah <laughs> press send you know whatever it is when, it, when you publish something and then the you know real people have eyes on it or it's in some people's hands it's terrifying because you know what happens if it sucks or whatever 
Um, so that's very terrifying, but, but you realize that the pain of not shipping is way outweighs the, you know, the pain of actually having, you know, customers get feedback on it and whatnot. So, and I've also learned some bad lessons too. We, there's a couple of products that we just didn't ship it in time and it was really, it really uh, didn't live up to potential because of it. So, um, so as a, you know, we're a forward leaning company, which means we ship more often than not, even when we're not quite ready. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your your family? I know that belongingness is a huge part of your journey and actually a huge part of your brand, right? The the products and, and the um, sort of the spirit of your company is so much about bringing people in. And I'd love to hear you talk about how you brought people in to your family. Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I, um, when we... Uh, we first started talking about having kids. We we always we always felt like that our family was going to be bigger than just us, and um, we felt like that adoption would probably be a part of our story in some way, shape, or form. Um, we after so after our second kid, um, we started talking about you know this is this feel like it's the right time. Uh, my, my wife, like I mentioned already, she's Caucasian. And uh, with me being Korean, it's kind of funny because my daughter looks like me and my son looks like her. And so we already had this, sort of, we're already sort of a blended family. So we thought, well, it'd be great if we brought, you know, someone into our weird third culture mixed family. So um, uh, so we started a process of being foster parents. And this is, geez, this is 12 years ago or so. And um, uh, we started fostering kids which was, uh, you know, a very um, terrifying and also very exhausting, but extremely rewarding experience. And so we've had, we've had many kids in our home uh, through foster care. And then we also, through that process, we ended up adopting two of them. And uh, those, uh, my, our two kids that we adopted are African-American. Um, so it's really people see our family, they're just very confused, <laughs> you know, because we're all kinds of colors, right? Um, but again, back to my original point, it's that, um, that it's, it's that third culture sort of value that's really more than just a business, but really is a part of our, you know, family that um, we're a family of multiple cultures, we weave in and out of those multiple cultures, we celebrate all kinds of holidays, and we, um, you know, it, we, our family is most at home when we are um, really experiencing the multitude of our backgrounds together. So, so yeah, so that, so that certainly that idea has permeated fear within the idea that, you know, um, when I was growing up, um, you know, my heroes, like many heroes of the eighties were all like, um, you know, it's the, it was the Rambo type heroes, you know, where it was like the big, strong muscular white dude and i mm. thought to myself for the longest time i thought oh if you're going to be someone of influence in culture that's the guy you got to look like you got to be big strong you know white dude that, that's it and um fortunately a lot has changed and uh, still more has to change <laughs> a lot has changed the idea that heroes look like all sides and shapes right and colors genders you know sexual orientation all that sort of stuff and so um, you know, the, the, um, the idea that here within is that, 
there's a hero in all of us. Whatever we look like, whatever our background is, whatever our culture is, that we all can be heroes. It could be very private, small way. It could be big, big public ways, but we all have the ability to be a hero, uh, regardless of what we look like on the outside. We talked to a lot of future shapers on the podcast and people who we would describe as fostering the future. You literally are fostering the future <laughs> with the way that you've um, you've embraced your family. Can you tell us what are some of the key values that you look at? as you have, you've got a pretty big family, helping your children navigate the future that we're, that we're, we're experiencing or the future that we may experience. How do you prepare them for that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how um, the conversation that we're having quite a bit in our house is, uh, you know, for all of us, when we were kids, the message that we were hearing was all, controlled by the gatekeepers right so mm -hmm. if you're an editor if you're a producer if you are a you know um uh studio or whatever it is like the the message of of whatever is controlled by a select handful of typically white dudes basically <laughs> and um but so much has changed now you know because we because of the onset of you know this guy um that everyone has a voice and now you, everyone has a responsibility to use that voice. And so it's really interesting to see how the next generation uh, in more personally in our own home, how they're going to use their opportunity to, you know, use their voice. And it's interesting. It's wild how, um, how socially conscious um, the next generation is, you know, my, my, um, my nieces lived with us during the pandemic. And so we had three, um, we, I had my four kids and my, um, my nie three nieces with us. So we had seven kids in the house, um, um, yeah, seven kids in the house, uh, during the pandemic. So they're all doing online school, all that. It was bananas. Um, yeah, but you know, it's really, it's wild how like, you know, you have the, our oldest and then all the which was at that time, um, a senior in high school all the way down to kindergarten. So the seven kids, that's what they spread. That's what the, that was a spread, but they all in their own way are like so socially aware, you know, and like mm -hmm. they're already having these conversations about the poor and the needy, the, um, the economic uh, disparity. Um, obviously during black lives matter, like, you know, so much race talk um, and then the LGBTQ and just like, they're just, there's, they're so aware. And, um, it's some of it is a, it's a little, you know, misguided passion. And then, um, but it's, it's really wild how they're growing up with the sense of like, I am not the center of the universe, but the, you know, it's much, the, 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 the world is so much bigger than myself. And, um, and I never grew up like that. I mean, it was all like, you know, in, in a small town in Texas, it was like, it was one way to look at the world. Right. And I, I, and I am still sort of, unraveling some of you know some of that baggage um but uh you know i really am impressed with how there's there's so much advocacy that is uh, happening through social media and through what the next generation and our kids are kind of like what they're making and creating and doing um now the big challenge that we have my wife and i have is um you know uh passion without core values is um, reckless you know so there's a lot of recklessness going on kids that are just taking up mantles of 
all types of causes, but they don't really have a, a you know, they haven't built a foundation of principles around why they believe what they believe. They just, you know, they just see a cause and they just go after it, which is again, it's admirable in many, uh, many ways. But um, so we feel like in our home that we're having to like really sort of guide the conversation around um, why do you believe what you believe? Like, you know, and really push them to really figure out like, you know, what's the, what's the, what's your sort of core values? What's the principles? Like you need to understand, like, why do you believe, you know, whatever you believe, because um, it's got to be more than that than just picking up a, a flag and then just, you know, going. And so, um, so that's been, you know, one of the biggest sort of topics that, you know, we're kind of wrestling with in our family right now. I am really appreciating your admission that you're, you know, you're a work of progress. And I wonder if you're willing to share with us some of the practices or, um, or even the frameworks you use to take care of yourself. I imagine your well-being is so important um, to you, given the journey that you just shared. How do you, how do you manage that? How do you stay well? You know, it's funny because I was just having this conversation with um, um, someone I used to work with, my previous boss, and um, man, uh, before the pandemic, I was like, I mean, I guess the term workaholic, everyone throws that around. But certainly, and Tom, you know this too, that like when you're a kind of an entrepreneur and a business owner, like I used to tell people that it's eight day, it's working eight days out of the week, 25 hours a day and burn the candles on all three ends, right? And that's what it mm-hmm. takes to, you know, run a business. And I was kind of using that as a badge of honor, I think, you know, that sort of a, a way to sort of prove to other people that I was. I belonged in this space is because I was killing myself, you know, to do it. But then during the pandemic, I feel like I've heard the story a lot. Like I just can't do it anymore. I just don't feel like I can maintain that level anymore. And part of it is just physically, I just have not, I just been so much out of the routine of before I was traveling every two weeks and we were, you know, just in this sort of rhythm. And, um, I just have been more intentional about slowing down, you know, and really just not doing all those emails super late at night and, you know, getting up at the crack or whatever and, you know, lining up all these meetings and just moving, going, going, going. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that the business is suffering as a result of it. But part of it, I just realized that I just can't do it anymore without feeling a sense of, um, without my spirit being drained. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my company. I love what we're doing and I you know, mm-hmm. love it all. But um, spending the, the pandemic with my family, I realized that, oh, you know, I just, I just rather would spend my time with my kids, you know, and I'd rather be there for them and support them and um, really help uh, our kids, as we talked about, navigate and transition into adulthood and, you know, or young adulthood or whatever. And um, so I definitely, I've just slowed down quite a bit and mm. um, trying to just enjoy the, you know, the, the, the hobbies that I have. And honestly, you know, like I mentioned with uh, Mochi, she's been a huge part of the past, you know, uh, she's a year and a half now. And, uh, you know, we, I just, I, all my spare time goes to her and we, you know, walk multiple times a day and I just, you know, um, my kids joke about how, like, I love her more than 
because <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I just spent so much time with her, just really kind of training her and, you know, whatever. And, um, and that's been very life giving to me is just yeah. sort of, you know, cause she's still kind of a baby and me being able to nurture and take care has been, has you know, given back to me quite a bit. Um, so, so I am a little worried though, as we get back into the rhythm of things and get back out and doing it, like, can I even do it? Like, can I get the company back to where it was? And, um, can I, and, and probably more importantly, um, is the goal now to be a, you know, a, uh, you know, hundred million dollar company. Is that even a, is that what I want mm. to do? Like I, I know for sure that I want here within to be successful, but redefining what is success, you know, and, and yeah. is it, um, uh, someone told me before and I've kind of held on to this, um, in different phases of my life, but you know, success is being content with what you have. Right. And I think before the pandemic, I wasn't content with what I had. I wanted it all. I, but um, but I definitely think I'm just that's what I'm struggling with right now is, is coming out of the pandemic. I've just slowed down. I re reprioritized my you know what's important, and um, I don't know if I can do the eight days a week, twenty five hours a day, burn the candles on all three ends. Well, I think that that is is such a good realization. I can definitely identify with that that sense of um, you know as an as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I always always have throughout my working life just work incredibly hard too. It just is, yeah. is kind of a, an, an instinct. And I have become aware over the last couple of years that actually I've just been trying to work a lot smarter and not so hard. And sometimes I'm, I'm aware that if I, if I push hard into the evening, I will feel it the next day and, and I won't be as good. And actually probably my net productivity of that week will be lower as a result of working really hard for the, for three extra hours in a day. I think it, it, it is a really interesting mindset shift and it is a rewiring. And I, I think that there, there seems to also be a kind of cultural rewiring of what's going on now. Have you heard of the, um, uh, there's a certain dilemma and I haven't quite landed on how I feel about this, but the idea that your greatest work is behind you. Um, and that sounds very pessimistic that to say that statement, but it's, um, you know, for Steven Spielberg, when he made E.T., right? Mm -hmm. That was a profound movie, right? Um, but he'll never make another E.T., right? It just won't ever happen again. George Lucas with um, Star Wars New Hope, he will never, and he's tried, but he, he won't ever make what star wars was right um and you can the list goes on and on for uh, a lot of different types of artists and creators yeah. that the creative process as artists we want it to be up and to the right right your the, your yeah. successes and your influence everything just goes up and up and up um and for a select few that that is the case but for many 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 profound creators um they made something that blew up and then they've chased that ever since right and for some they chased it and they failed and for others they realized that you know my greatest work is behind me and there's a lot of freedom in that because then you realize mm. that you know i can just create and i don't have to care in the world i can just do what i want to do and be, um, be be content with you know whatever i'm currently doing 
and not feel like that my job is not to is not to chase that past success. But my job is to be authentically create and create something that has meaning and value for the people that want it. Right. And um, now my ego has a problem with that because I feel like I'm, every every time I make something a piece of merchandise, I want it to be greater than the last. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's very natural for all of us. But I do think there's some wisdom in that, that idea that, you know, your greatest work might be behind you and that's okay. And just focus on the here and now, make something that's real. And if it happens, it happens, but, but don't feel like you have to chase that, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't have to fully, you know, figure it out or, you know, or even, I don't know if I fully agree with it or not, but I do think that I don't want to be the person that's chasing a past success, you know? And um, so um, that's, I think I'm kind of there right now. I think it's very freeing creatively. I mean, it, to a certain extent, it, it, it touches on the idea of just, just ship it as well, isn't it? It, yeah. it? it is about not being too precious and it's about being free to, to create and, and to, to execute in the way that you want to. Yep. Well, Tony, thank you so much for the, the conversation today. I, I'm really inspired and, and actually I hadn't thought about how third culture, as you, you described so eloquently, thinking that that is such an advantage but also i also think that um looking at the world of comic books and seeing that as such a positive force for identity i've never seen that in such a way before i know i'm not a, I, I i'm solo in this conversation here i'm not a, co- a comic-con veteran um <laughs> uh, but i think it, it's it's amazing how those stories are able to kind of transcend and be applied to so many different people's lives who kind of feel other or feel outside in some way and it kind Mm. of welcomes them in. So thanks for sharing that. And we always ask um, our guests to share um, a little bit of cultural inspiration for us. Is there a a music track that we could put on our playlist that is inspiring to you? You know, I've been going back to uh, classic rock. So the song that I'm just jamming like crazy um, in the car is Wayward Son by Kansas. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so that's, you know, I've just been like loving kind of re-embracing, uh, you know, all these old classic rock and roll songs. So, yeah. Fantastic. Love it. Yeah. And Tony, thank you for, for joining us. Could you just let all the listeners know where they can find out more um, about the hero within, where, where where should they seek that out? Yeah, you, you look on um, herewithinstore.com. You can just search hero within and all the socials. And then my personal Twitter is crazy, the number four, Comic Con, crazy for Comic Con. Well, thanks for the conversation today. Really inspiring. Really enjoyed uh, hearing your story and look forward to seeing some more incredibly creative work by uh, your company uh, on, this, on the streets of Comic Con later this year. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Optimist in Progress podcast, brought to you by Optimist Drinks. This podcast is presented by Dr. Drea Lettermendi and me, Tom Johnston. It's produced and researched by Lisa Farr-Johnstone, with original music from Reginald Science Perry and edited by Brian Ward and Aginia O'Dell. Email podcast at optimistdrinks.com with any questions or ideas and follow us at Optimist Drinks on Instagram for updates on upcoming shows.